glad that you're here. I want to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I always highly encourage you to bring your Bible to church. And if you're here for the first time, no worry. But if you've got a smartphone on you or a tablet on you, download the Bible or open your Bible app to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read from the NIV, the NIV Bible. In just a few moments, we're going to read some scriptures there. So we've been talking in our church for a couple of weeks now on this incredible topic of grace. Everybody say grace. God's grace is amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We sing about grace. We uh, believe that God is gracious. We are saved by grace. And last week we mentioned about how grace affects our lives vertically with God. That through the grace of God, to truly capture what that, what that means... It means that vertically with God, this relationship is settled and done through Jesus Christ. That we truly believe, when, when we truly capture this, when we truly understand what the Bible really is teaching us, we understand this one bedrock principle in our relationships with God. That, that our relationship is not based on what we do, and our relationship is not based on what we don't do. Our relationship is based on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago at the cross. And that placing your faith in that is all that's necessary. That he saves you, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he washes you freely without any payment. You don't have to sacrifice goats anymore. You don't have to sacrifice sheep anymore. You don't have to sacrifice cats, although that might be a good, adv uh, good advice. <laughs> Just kidding, cat lovers, stay with me. You don't have to sacrifice anything to make yourself right with God. Jesus is the final once and for all sacrifice for all your sins, past, present, and future. That's the good news of the gospel. So our vertical relationship is settled. But that's not the end of the story. That I believe that if you are truly saved by grace, that you are changed by grace that it is not just accept Jesus and wait for heaven that the church does not function as this cosmic waiting room to go to heaven someday that we get into our building here and we're happy about the fact that we're going to heaven and poo-poo on the world too bad for them Wish you could help you, but I'm sorry, I'm too busy just looking forward to eternity with Jesus. That's not, that's not what it means to be saved by grace. That I, I want you to hear me today, that I believe that if you've truly received the grace of God, there should be a movement in your life that has been pushed, that has been propagated, that has been started and initiated by the grace of God outwardly to everybody around you. That the grace of God doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody that you know. And that you change how you live because of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. I said a couple of weeks ago that the Greek word for grace is charis. Everybody say that word, charis. I want to spell it for you. C-H-A-R-I-S. 
C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis is grace. Big question. A lot of denominations in the world, right? A lot of denominations, Christian denominations, yes, Lutheran, Cal, uh, Methodist, Reformed, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. What do you think denomination God is? Oh, he's a denomination. I found out. I found out that he belongs to the charismatic denomination. Now, stay with me for a moment, because here's the deal. God, the Bible says, is the God of all grace. He is the God of all charismatic. God is charismatic. Some of you are not charismatic. You're like, I don't believe that. I'm sorry. What I mean to say is that he is just that good. And he is just that gracious. And he is just that generous and that his grace is a constant flow of his generosity into your life and that everything that you have from your breath to your eyes to your feet to your hands to the to the lungs that are working to your stomach that's working to your brain that's functioning right now everything you have is a gift a caress of God God is highly charismatic All right, he's a good God. He's a gracious God. And this is why we worship the way we do. This is why we worship. I'm not saying that we're charismatic, so just relax, all you Baptist people. (laughs) I am saying, though, that if we truly understand how good God is to us, how can we not be excited for what he's done? Like, if we truly believe that God has saved us, heaven is waiting for us, our past is forgiven, our present is done and settled in heaven, that we know who we are in God, accepted in the beloved, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, totally and radically transformed through the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we not respond with worship and praise and give God back some worship for what he's done for us? Like, how, how can we not? Like, some people, you're just like, I just, I'm sorry, pastor. I just don't raise my hands. I just never do. I'm sorry. I'm not that kind of person. Let me take you to Gillette Stadium <laughs> on a football game day, and let's just test out that theory. You know, New Englanders are funny. We're like, oh, my gosh, Tom Brady just threw a touchdown pass to We don't even know who he throws him to anymore, but he just threw a pass to somebody and it doesn't change my life, my marriage, my parenting, any whatsoever, but I'm gonna raise my hands and praise him for it. But God in heaven has saved you, redeemed you, forgiven you and cleansed you and you're gonna sit there and say, nah, I don't raise my hands. I think we need to give God some praise for what he's done in our lives. Don't be afraid of it. It's good. It's good. So let's talk about the effects of God's grace. Here's the sentence I want you to write down. If you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. (laughs) It is impossible, and I'm going to say this slowly so you can all write it down. You got to write it down because it's the whole message. It is impossible. To be saved by grace. It is impossible to be saved by grace and not moved by grace. 
It's impossible. God is charismatic. He is all grace, all goodness, all gifting to us. And out of that gifting and goodness to us, it should have an effect on our lives. It should move us. He is the action. We are the reaction. Remember the, uh, the popular um, three laws of physics from Sir Isaac Newton? How many of you graduated from eighth grade science? Yes, eighth grade science graduates. Amen. Proud. Okay. Um, the third law of motion. Does anybody know what it is? You'll know it when I say the first line. When I say the first part of it, you'll finish it for me. I guarantee it. Here's the third law of Sir Isaac Newton's laws of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Exactly. I want to take that law and I want to apply it to the grace of God. That if God is truly as good as we believe he is, that his acting on us should produce an equal and opposite reaction out towards the world. When people see Christians that, that, that truly have been captured by God's goodness to them and God's love for them and God's compassion to them, that the Christians that they see should not be angry, upset, miserable people. That when you go to church, that when you go to work, uh, that, that life is going to throw you some stuff and you're going to have your moments and I have my moments, trust me, but, but for the most part, to be truly captured by the goodness and the grace of God, it should have an effect on our lives to make us good and gracious to other people. When people run into Christians, they should run into the most positive, upbeat, happy, joyous, confident, loving people on the face of planet Earth because we know how good our God has been to us. That's the equal and opposite reaction. So I want to talk to you about a guy who was so profoundly affected by grace that I can confidently say this, that we are sitting here in this room today because of the effect that God's grace had on him 2,000 years ago. And his name is the Apostle Paul. And you hear me talk about him all the time. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, here's what he says from the NIV version. He says, for I, this is Paul the Apostle, for I am the least of the what? Of the apostles and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle why he says because I persecuted the church of God and then verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without what's the next word say it effect his grace was not without effect no I worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was with me Paul the apostle is sharing his testimony about why he serves God let me ask you a question why do you serve God why are you here today why do you do the things that you do in the name of Jesus? Well, I want to I suggest that there are two reasons why everybody is here. One of two reasons why everybody is here, and I think the world over, why people do what they do in the Christian movement. Only two. I believe they apply to everybody. The first one is grace, which I pray is yours. But the second one is pretty negative. The second one also begins with a G. It's called guilt. People either serve God because they've been touched by the grace of God, 
or they serve God because they're filled with guilt. And, the, and listen, if you want to do guilt, I can do guilt. Oh, man, I could preach guilt until the cows come home. I don't even know when they're coming home, but I could preach guilt till then. I'm telling you, I am gifted in guilt. I was raised by an Italian Pentecostal family. And they, my grandparents and great-grandparents, they had a Ph.D. in guilt-giving. Everything was wrong. Everything was sinful. The, the rule was, if you were enjoying yourself, you were sinning. <laughs> Whatever you were doing, that was happening. If you were smiling, you must have sinned. What did you do, right? That was, that was a telltale sign. If it's too fun, it must be wrong. Stop it. Everything was wrong. Movies were wrong. Music was wrong. Um, tattoos were wrong. Piercings for men were wrong. Um, pants for ladies were wrong. Uh, women had to go to church with this big black veil over their face every single church service. Everything was wrong for Italian Pentecostals except stuffing yourself like a glutton every single day on Sunday after church. Okay, that's how, that's how <laughs> hypocritical we all were. Everything was wrong. And it's funny, I had a, I had a cassette tape in my, in my bedroom when I was 16 years old. It was Poison's first album. How many, how many love some Poison? Come on, come on. Shame on you. Um, you know, and, and I remember my, my youth pastor was getting a tour through my house because my parents would always do this with our ministers. And, and he ended up in my bedroom and he saw... He saw the Poison album on the desk next to my bed, and man, did I get it. What are you listening to, Tim? This is garbage. Don't you know that if you play this music backwards, it tells you to worship Satan? <laughs> Remember those days, anybody? You know, you got the scars to prove it, the mental scars. You still twitch every once in a while in church. Because backmasking, backmasking, right? You play, uh, the, the, another one bites the dust, you play that one backwards, it says start to smoke marijuana, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there, right, everybody with me? It's like, it's not that it's bad enough going forward, we also gotta rewind it and hear the sin message from Satan. And so everything, everything was wrong. And a large portion of my life was filled with guilt. Still is, every once in a while, guilt makes its way back in. But to be saved by grace, is to let the grace of God squeeze out the guilt. And some of you, it's a lifelong process, and you're not there yet. And, I, and I, we're patient. God's patient with you. We're trusting God for you. But my heart of hearts and my heart's desire for every single one of you is that you let the grace of God, which is greater than your sin, squeeze out the guilt that you feel. And that every time you come to church, you come not because you feel guilty over what you did last week, and every time that you come to church, you don't come because you're trying to make it up to God for the past month. Or that you come to church because, well, I haven't been there in a while, and they're probably wondering where I am, so maybe I should try to go. No, that's guilt. Get rid of that stuff and come to church because you know how good and gracious God has been to you. Worship him. Because... Worship him because he's been good to you. Read your Bible because he's been good to you. Pray because he's been good to you. You don't need guilt. You need grace. And grace is a much better motivator than guilt. Case in point, Paul the Apostle. Here was a man who was always talking about his testimony. Paul the Apostle. Always talking about it. 
Uh, the New Testament talks mostly about one event. The New Testament talks mostly about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, that's our message. That's what this whole movement is built on. But do you know what the second most talked about event in the entire New Testament is? The second most talked about event in the New Testament is Paul's conversion. Isn't that weird? Why is that the case? I think it's because God knows that we need an example of what it means to be truly saved by grace. Like Jesus didn't need to be saved by grace. Jesus is perfect, Jesus is God. Jesus never had to be converted. Jesus was never going the wrong way and somebody helped him turn his life around. But we need somebody to look at to say, what does it look like when I'm truly saved by grace? Who that person is for us in the New Testament is Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle is always talking about, he wrote almost half of the New Testament, and he's always talking about his testimony. He's always saying, here's who I was, and now here's who I am. He's always mentioning this. Why? Because he wants us to understand that if God could do something like that with him, he can do it with anybody. I mean, this guy was hating the church, hated the movement, total Pharisee of Pharisees. You know the people Jesus really didn't like? He was advancing in their school beyond all his companions. He was the man in Judaism. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a proud tribe of Benjamin uh, member, and he hated Christianity. And listen to me. Out of all the people in the Bible who, who would have least wanted to become a Christian... It was Paul the Apostle, right? He was going to Damascus with papers in hand. He was going to arrest them, drag them off, kicking and screaming, men, women, young children, and put them in prison and kill them if necessary. The first Christian martyr was named Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and 8, and Paul the Apostle is holding the coats of the guys who are chucking rocks to kill Stephen. And the Bible says he was sitting there going, that's right, kill him. Put this movement to bed now, quickly. Of all the people who least wanted to be a Christian, it was Paul the Apostle. And yet God, in his phenomenal sense of humor, sends Jesus back to earth to introduce himself to Paul the Apostle. You know the story of the road to Damascus. Bright light falls down, blinded for three days. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to make you my messenger and this man travels all over the known world, spreading the message of Jesus. And he is why, in large part, he is why we are sitting here today. Do you know what that, do you know what that tells me? It's good news for some of you. You're praying for friends. You're praying for neighbors. You're praying for family members who seem like there's just no way they're ever going to come to Christ. Listen, if, Paul can if God can change the apostle Paul who hated Jesus, you best believe that God can change your uncle, your nephew, your cousin, whoever else you're praying for. You need to understand the power of God's grace. And Paul knew, Paul knew, I'm an example. You want to know what God can do with you? Look at me. That's what he's saying here. He says it in another place. I want to read it for you. 1 Timothy 1.16. He says this, God had mercy on me. Why? So that Christ Jesus could use me. As a prime example, I'm an example. Example of what? Of his, not me, of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. Then others will realize 
that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Translation of that verse, Paul's saying, if Jesus can have patience with me, he can have patience with you. That's the power of God's amazing grace. And every action, if it has an equal and opposite reaction, there should be some effects on our lives of the grace of God. What are they? Number one. Effective grace number one, a new calling. A new calling on your life. Paul says, I don't deserve to be called an apostle. But then he says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. That God's grace handpicked Paul to spread the message of Jesus everywhere. I said it happened after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. I always have this picture, right? The church is blowing up in Jerusalem, and Paul the Apostle watches Stephen get killed. And I think what happened, I think what happened in, in heaven, after Jesus rose again and ascended to the right-hand side of God the Father, I think that something happened. There's a conversation between the Father and the Son. And the Father looked at the Son and said, You know what, Son? I really love those fishermen and tax collectors that you picked. I like Matthew, I like Peter, I like James and John. Those are great guys. But there's a guy down there on earth that truly, truly hates your guts. I say we rock the whole world by you going down and paying him a visit. I just, I just see that conversation going down. And that Jesus shows up on the road and just knocks Paul down and forever his life is changed. How? He didn't want it. He didn't ask for it. He didn't look for it. No, God found him. God placed a call on him. Let me tell you why you're here today. You're here by the divine call and the divine drawing of God the Father over your life. Listen to me. You thought you chose Jesus. That's not what happened. Jesus chose you and selected you and put his hand on you and called you by his grace. This is a tremendous... This is... This is a tremendous life-changing event. When you truly understand that you've been chosen, right? When you truly understand that you've been chosen. Why do girls get so excited when they finally get proposed to? Because they've been chosen, right? Why, why do guys, let me make it equal, okay? Why do guys get so excited when that girl of his dreams finally says yes? Because she's chosen him. There's something special about being chosen. In Christ, you're chosen. You're called. Um, Paul was called, and he changed the world. Paul was called, and he realized he was called, and he didn't deserve it, but he was called, and he changed the world. People who know they are chosen have a, have a life, world, uh, not a life, a world-changing potential on their life. I think about... Steve Jobs. And in his biography written by Walter Isaacson, there was a 60-minute interview of Walter Isaacson about Steve Jobs shortly after his death. And then the biography was released. And Steve Jobs always knew that he was adopted, and it had a tremendous effect on his life. And Isaacson writes, from Steve's point of view, here's what happened. Steve's saying, As a child, I was standing on our front lawn telling Lisa McMoylar from across the street that I was adopted. And she said, so does that mean that your real parents didn't want you? Oh, that sent lightning bolts off in my head. 
Steve says, I remember running into the house, crying, asking my parents about what she just said. And they sat me down and they said these words, no, Steve, you don't understand. We specifically picked you out. We chose to have you. And from that moment on, I realized that I was not abandoned. I was chosen. I was special. And he changed the world. Amen? I mean, he changed the world. It's not talking about Jesus, but he changed the world. Hello? (laughs) Right? I love it. I love the fact that Steve Jobs lived. Praise God. Anybody got a smartphone? (laughs) Smartphone? Hold them up real quick. Hey, Android, Android users, hold it up. You owe that to Steve Jobs. Before there was ever Android, there was iPhone. And we're praying for you, Android owners, to come on over (laughs) to God's side. (laughs) Steve Jobs knew he was chosen, and it changed the world. I I wonder what could happen in your life if you truly catch the fact that God has chosen you. You know, uh, Jewish people, (laughs) they are typically successful people. I mean, you think about it. There's a good chance your doctor is Jewish. <laughs> There's a really good chance that your lawyer is Jewish, right? I mean, they, they own Hollywood. <laughs> they own a lot of the banks. Why? I always think about, why aren't you so, so successful? I think it's because they always know that they are God's chosen race. They call themselves the chosen race, chosen by Abraham. I mean, Abraham was chosen by God, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. There's a tremendous power in knowing that you have been chosen. Somebody say to yourself right now, I'm chosen. chosen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he chose me. (laughs) When you know that you're chosen, it changes how you treat other people. When you know that you're chosen, it changes how you treat yourself. Single people, when you know that you're chosen, listen, not any schlub will do. Amen, ladies. When you know you are chosen and a precious daughter of God, that guy with no job and six tattoos won't fit. When you know that you're chosen, guys, and you're God's child, you know that that lust of the flesh, that pride of life, that stuff that will wreck your life, that just won't do because you know God has a greater plan for you and the devil's trying to short circuit your God's plan and that stuff is lesser stuff and you need to stretch yourself for the good stuff that God's got in your future. When you know you're chosen, it changes how you see sin. Sin is no longer entertaining, it's no longer desirous because you realize that that stuff is just a cheap imitation of the good stuff God wants to pour out into your life. That's the power of being chosen. Such a better way to see it than guilt. Such a better way. Second thing, the second effect of God's grace is gifting. Look what he says in Romans 12, 6. In his grace, somebody say, in his grace. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. How do we get gifted? By God's grace. Again, it's like a little play on words here in the Greek because the word for gift and the word for grace is the same word, charis. And so through the grace of God, different gifts blossom out of the church. And then he's going to list the gifts for us. He's going to talk about prophesying and, 
And, and um, then he talks about leadership and serving. And some, some people, you have the gift of administration. And some of you have the gift of edification, encouragement. Listen, you're gifted. You're gifted by the grace of God. If you're truly captured by the grace of Jesus, it, it can't help but just come out in gifting. And so the Bible says you need to understand not that you will be gifted, not that you may be gifted. No, in his grace, God has given us different gifts. It's past tense. It's already deposited. You just need to find out what they are. You say, well, I, I don't know what my gifts are. Okay, I'm gonna give you some advice. Pray and ask God. That always works. <laughs> Pray, get alone, ask God. Start writing it down. Maybe I'm gifted here. Maybe I'm gifted there. Where, where is my gift? Some of you have the gift of encouragement, and you're not using it yet. And how many people in your life have been brought to you, and they're so discouraged? And you're wondering, why do I always get these people in my life? Because God... God has given you the gift of encouragement, and you need to start using it. And some of you, you've got the gift of serving. You need to ask God, and you need to ask him to show you your gift. Second thing I would say to find your gift is this, very, 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 very important. Ask somebody you love and you know and you trust. Ask somebody else what your gifting might be, because they will be honest with you. More honest than you will be with you, right? They will tell you, no, that's not your gift. Like some lady's married to a guy who hasn't smiled in 50 years. He's like, maybe I should be on the greeting team at Waters Church. Maybe that's my, what do you think, honey? No, no, I'm sorry. Go sweep something. I don't know, but that's not your gift. Right? right? Like, like singers, too. Seriously, singers? Let somebody else tell you. <laughs> you think you can sing, right? This is what makes the first couple episodes of American Idol so interesting. You think you can sing. Ask somebody else. You're like, Pastor, that's kind of rude. That's kind of rude. What if they have a good heart? What if they have a good heart? I'm not listening to their heart. I'm listening to their vocal cords, and they stink. <laughs> Ask somebody else. Number three, try something. Pray, ask somebody else, and try. Step out. Go to Info Central and ask somebody, where do you need me? I'm going to step out. Maybe, you're, maybe you don't even realize yet that you're gifted to help children find Jesus. Maybe you don't even realize that you're gifted to do sound here at this church. And, and let's, just, let's just also make this very important qualifier. It's not just about what happens in this building. Some of you are gifted with um, skills of administration, business leadership. Some of you are skilled growing successful businesses. God has given that gift. Do it. Do it with the grace that God empowers you to do it with so that you can make a lot of money and fund the ministry of the church. And I'm serious about that. Some of you, you have yet to get this because you're so blessed business-wise, but you're stinking cheap with God. And it's like you don't even realize the reason why God has you in this church, businessman, is to fund the mission of the church to spread the gospel because who cares how many soup kitchens we open if those souls are going to hell. It's about bringing people to Jesus Christ. 
So seek out your gift. Number three, effective grace, serving. Here's what Paul, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, okay, so past tense, I've got it. As each has received a gift, what? Use it. Use it to what? Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, what? Grace. Your gift is not meant for you just to feel better about yourself. It's meant to be used in service toward others. And this is where the work comes in. Uh, You gotta work it. You gotta work the gift that God has put in you. And and it's gonna take energy, and it's gonna take effort, and it's gonna take sometimes when you don't feel like being an encourager at work, you gotta be the encourager. And sometimes when you don't feel like coming in and helping children find Jesus, you gotta come in and help find people, help, help Jesus, help children find Jesus. And sometimes when you don't feel like, like being that, that servant at your house or that servant in your family or that servant in your office, that you just got to do it anyway because, because sometimes you just got to work. Uh, here's what Paul says back to 1 Corinthians 15. He says, his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I, what's the word? Worked. I worked harder than any of them, but it wasn't me. It was the effect of God's grace on my life. I worked hard. You know how many people we have in this church that work to make this this moment right here happen? Do you know that in Waters Church, North Attleboro, we have 125 people who serve in our children's ministry alone? 125, yeah. Do you know that we have... We have, we have 90 people who serve in the guest relations. So everybody from the parking ministry all the way into Info Central, 90 people make that happen. That's good. That's real good. And these are people who are serving us, serving you. And if they don't do what they do, we can't do this. We can't do this. And the results our people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Almost every single service, somebody's crossing the line from darkness to light. Just so you know, we are 47 days into 2014. 47 days into 2014, we've had 60 people confess Christ in 2014. That's, that's, that's more than one per day, praise God, amen? Why, why do people do this? This is so crazy. Some of you, you gotta, you're just going to bear with me for a moment, but let me just have a, a, a pastor outside the box moment for you. I think it's crazy that you actually show up here <laughs> and you work for free and you pay us <laughs> on top of that. This is a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm just like, I'm like, how does this happen? How does this, how do we actually have the audacity to expect that? Here's how it happens. Because it's impossible to be saved by grace and not moved by grace. The reason why people come and show up early and, and plow and shovel and do all this stuff and help you get here, the reason why is because they truly have been captured by the grace of God. And for every action this way, there is an equal and opposite reaction that way. It's the power of God's effective grace. You see somebody in our church with a water uh, shirt on, they're servants, they're, they're volunteers. Pat them on the back, give them a hug. Don't give me any more Dunkin' gift cards, please, don't. I'm done, seriously, give it to them. They deserve it. They're the heartbeat of this church. Some of you will be walking around in heaven one day, 
years from now, when we're all dead and gone, and you'll run into somebody, and you'll say, hey, where are you from? And they'll say, oh, from Massachusetts. And you'll say, me too. And where, where in Massachusetts? North Attleboro. <gasps> me too. <laughs> what church did you attend? I attended Waters Church. <gasps> me too. <laughs> and you'll be all confused because I don't think I ever saw you there. And the reason why is because you served now and they were born 10 years from now. Amen. You see, what are we building here? We're not building a church just for this generation. We're not building a church just so we can have a big building and say, oh, goody, goody, look at our big church. No, no, no. We are building something. We're building a tree, an oak tree that will be established in North Attleboro for generations to come. And children's children's children will come to Jesus because of the decisions that we make now. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're praying for. Number four, the last one, the last effect of, of grace is giving. Giving. Now, I said this about successful business people. You should be giving. But anybody that's been captured by grace should be a giver. Anybody. I think that it's impossible to truly be saved by grace and not be a giver. And so here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. He says, but since you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. Look what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, Corinthians, you people are gifted. You're, you're incredible speakers. You're incredible um, doers. You're incredible workers. you got great knowledge. Uh, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. That comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, this was a church that was gifted in the, in the healing ministry, in faith, in word of knowledge, in prophetic gifts, in leading. He says, Corinthians, you are one incredibly gifted church. But I want you to also excel in one last gift, this grace of giving. It's fantastic that you got great gifts, but I want you to be givers. And I want you to be just as excellent in giving your finances to the kingdom of God, Paul says, as you are at giving your time and your talents. And so we give because we have been graced. We tithe because we have been graced. 10% tithe is one-tenth, as, as, as many people in this church do. First tenth, right to God. It's an amazing thing. They fund what happens here. My wife and I, we do that as well. We take the first tenth of everything that's ever come into our house, and it immediately goes out back to this church. We bring it to God. We do it first before we pay any other bills, because if you wait until all the other bills are paid, you'll never do it. And you'll never see God provide, because that's not faith. We give and then we give beyond that to compassion. I'm a huge compassion supporter. We're going to do Compassion Sunday this year. Uh, we do World Vision. I mean, you, sh you should be giving beyond that. Because why? Because you realize that the grace of God, this vertical relationship has been settled. God's always going to provide. God's always going to be faithful to you. And so this goes out because it's so easy to understand once you do it how faithful God is. Because it's impossible to be saved by grace and not be moved by grace. 
Here's what Paul says later on in the same book. Um, chapter nine, verse eight. He says, God is able... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's what he's saying. Look, grace comes, you abound, you've got sufficiency, now you give. Now you give. A little later in the same chapter, he says this. He who supplies seed to the sower. Seed to the who? Not every Christian. Not every Christian the ones who sow. He supplies seed to the ones who sow it. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. When God can see that you're a giver, he gives more. Once he sees, oh my gosh, they realize that it's really not even theirs anyway because it all belongs to God. When he catches that in your life, he's like, now I know I can trust him. Now I know I can bless them with more because I know that that is a great investment in my church, in my kingdom. And God pours it out. Paul, that's what he's saying. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. So those are the four effects of grace. Calling, gifting, serving, giving. And I want that to be the testimony of our church and, and there's, there's something that we're going to decide, <clears throat> that we've got to decide uh, at this stage in our life. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do our building campaign series. And uh, for the last two years, it's been called God Can, We Will. But we're changing the name, and uh, you will find out about that name change, and you probably have already figured it out. If you take a good look around, you'll figure it out in the building. Not going to tell you where but it's already revealed somewhere. And we're changing the name, and that will be explained in a couple of weeks. But we're gonna ask you to do that. And then not only are we gonna ask you to give to that so that we can plant this church permanently in this area for the glory of Jesus, but we as a church are gonna make a decision that we haven't made yet, and it's time to make it now. We're gonna tithe as a church. And we're going to take 10% of what comes into this church and send it out to other kingdom-minded things. Now, now we've, we've, always, we've always done this. We've always done some. We've never done 10%. Tithe is 10%. Okay, so we're not going to ask you to tithe anymore without being tithers first. So we're going to send our tithe as a church to church planting movements, uh, to overseas missions. Lorenzo's coming back, and you're going to hear about some of those plans. And then we're also going to do some neighborly stuff. We already do these things, and I'm going to tell you about them just for a few seconds, and then I'm done. Uh, we're going to do um, an outreach called Relay for Life. We all know about that. That's the cancer um, where, where we uh, raise money for cancer research. We are tremendously supportive of that. Our goal for this year is $10,000, and we want to raise that. We want to hit that, and we want to go beyond that. If you want to be involved in that, go to Info Central and tell them. We're also going to do uh, the Providence Rescue Mission. We're going to be raising money for that because we want to help those who can't help themselves. 
And so that's going to be a big part of that. Uh, and we're also going to help out and do a drive for the Abundant Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center. Because we're not just pro-life. We are pro-helping those who are pro-life. And we want to save children because they are a gift from God. So that's what's going to happen. Why? Because it is impossible to be saved by grace and not be moved by grace.